Welcome to the Strategy and Leadership Podcast brought to you by SME Strategy. My name is Anthony Taylor and I'm going to be your host today. On the Strategy and Leadership Podcast, we interview senior leaders and thought leaders to get their best practices for leading teams, for driving and executing strategy, and other best practices as it relates to leadership and team development. And our goal here on the Strategy and Leadership Podcast is to bring you practical and executable tips that you can use right away to support the growth of your organization or your business. So if you enjoy today's episode, please be sure to subscribe. You can follow us on YouTube for other bonus content on strategy and leadership, or, and you can join in on the conversation on Facebook in the strategy and leadership community. So I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Today, I'm joined by Victoria Peltier, who is the VP and Senior Partner of Talent and Transformation at IBM. Victoria, how are you today? I am great. Very happy to be here. Thank you. I'm super stoked to talk to you. You've got a wealth of experience across so many different dimensions. Why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about who you are, your background, and then we'll fill in any blanks from there. I'll try and keep it short and sweet, but the fact is it's a long history. Uh, So I... uh, I've spent the last or my entire career, quite frankly, in business to business, consulting services, technology companies. So I don't know anything other than kind of the craziness of serving multiple masters and not just the constituents and stakeholders within an organization. I um, became an executive at age 24. That was my foray into the world of kind of B2B from having sat inside large financial institutions running operations where I, I came out into the world of outsourcing. Learned a heck of a lot about business as at 24 as the COO and GM for a large BPO organization. And then have traversed since then for, for those who might see my path on a LinkedIn or otherwise might think it it isn't logical because um, it's all over the place, but it's always been a certainly nonlinear path across multiple industries, but always serving business to business clients. I'm also an entrepreneur and intrapreneur within the organization, certainly within IBM and all the other companies I worked for, but I've built and bought companies as well as invest in them and still pretty heavily involved sitting on, on boards and as an advisor to others. And then personally passionate about a lot of things. So diversity and inclusion ties directly into not only the work I do at IBM, but I've been very, very actively involved in that space for probably about the last 12 or 15 years. Um, so that'll be you know, a big part of the work I do and, and, and the message I, I, I'm out there with. Spent a lot of time doing both public speaking uh, and engagements, published author. Prior to moving um, back to the US, I was on national television in Canada. And then fitness fanatic, mom, you know, wife, uh, a million other things that I have passions outside of the office as well. Yeah, absolutely. No doubt keeping you busy, uh, keeping you traveling, seeing a lot of the world, uh, a fellow Canadian, uh, but now, like you said, living in New York. Yeah, just really, really inspiring to see what you do because, you know, obviously you have the, you know, big working for one of the most well-known companies in the world, but also some of the work that you do on boards um, is super impressive as well. So uh, I guess my first question is, what do you love most about your work right now? So the, the work that I lead for IBM is not an, in, I'm not an internal practitioner. 
uh, HR professional, talent professional. I lead the business that supports our clients with everything related to talent and workforce, change in culture. So it's been a really interesting year, right? Given COVID and, you know, the, the new normal that's going to, you know, come about. So I've spent, plus all the dynamics around social unrest, politically, the things that are happening. So what I'm loving about it is what I'm seeing are companies looking to do a couple of things that I actually thought would go a little bit on hold given COVID and and, and the world. So one is around structural cost transformation. You know, so companies looking at their shared service environments and, uh, you know, how they might not have had an appetite to outsource and transform some of those, but they're needing to reduce their costs, right, to adjust to the decline in revenue they've seen over this time. And or they're doing it because they've recognized the need to rapidly transform digitally, right? In what working in this virtual environment, creating consumer-grade experiences for their end customers, for their employees. So it's been this rapid acceleration. Again, I thought it was going to, you know, go on hold and we'd see it once we kind of got further past this place right now. Um, and then the, the couple of other pieces around it is, you know, those changes in the way we're transforming those parts of the businesses or businesses holistically is giving them cause to look at the way the work's done, how it's done, who does it. And so this whole kind of workforce optimization and looking at the skills for the future and planning ahead with them around what does that look like, right? That in several years from now, 50% of the roles created then don't exist today. So how do we help them bridge towards that? That stuff is all super exciting for me. Well, obviously it's been a period of big transformation and you're a transformation leader. And what I find interesting, just generally speaking, is that a lot of transformation, especially for innovative companies, is done from within. And this is one of those, at least in my career experience, rare instances where a lot of the transformation, be it social, be it technological, be it you know consumer needs, economic, et cetera, is pushed from outside. And so, you know, seeing how people are not only reacting to that now, but are going to like react to that in the future and and talk about, you know, how that changes. I want to ask you before I sort of ask your predictions of the world for you to tell me what the future of HR or future of work is going to be. What do you see as you work within organizations when they aren't so willing to take on that transformation where, you know, what needs to be done isn't being done and how do you approach that from a leadership perspective how do you approach that from a strategy perspective and how do you approach that from a people perspective if that question makes sense <laughs> yeah and so i'm in that situation right now where it's it's really interesting there's a a very large client that is recognized their need to transform they've made a very large commitment to the street around how they're going to transform structurally cost take a pretty significant numbers and what's interesting is there's this kind of edict that's come down on high, right, from the CEO or in the C-suite. And now that it's starting to hit those various functional areas, uh, what we're seeing is, that, one, they, they weren't prepared for it. Again, I call it an edict for a reason. But even there, I mean, some of them feel, hey, are we going to be outsourcing our role? So there's a big push. And then, so they're looking at doing things in a really discrete, separate nature, right? So let's look at the technology. Oh, so hey, here, come and quote on how, what the technology is going to look like around this. 
Two, let's look at how do we standardize all of the processes and then look to outsource them. Oh, and by the way, we, we can't forget that there's some experience work that needs to be done and target operating models. You know, so my, my message has been, but first and foremost, before all of this work starts underway, there needs to be a strategic alignment at the top. Like, let's be clear, you've committed a really large number to, you know, out to the street. Let's be clear for each functional area. What's that driving? You know, my message is there's not a, there does not need to be a trade-off for customer or employee experience by doing the things needed to drive cost takeout, right? By standardizing, simplifying, automating, outsourcing. There does not have to be a trade-off for the employee experience in doing that. But to achieve those numbers, you need to be really bold in your thinking. And it's not the way you've been doing it in the past, right? So think about things like recruitment for high volume, but lower complexity type of roles. You can go to a near zero touch model, right? Where you source your candidates, screen them, do aptitude tests, whatever you need to do, video interviewing, scoring assessment, all the way through to like their checks without anyone touching it. That's a very different model. So you need to then subsequently manage the change related to that. So that's the type of conversation you need to have. Going back to kind of, you know, that whole challenger sale type approach versus, yeah, I can respond to all these discrete RFPs and tell you, but there's going to be throwaway work if you do that and cost, it's going to be protracted. And ultimately you're not going to drive the outcome you've committed to, nor quite frankly, should you be driving towards. So, Sounds like from a leadership perspective, like you, you see it, you see that big perspective, you see the need for alignment, you see, you know, sort of like what is required for the catalyst uh, of transformation and recognizing that doing it piecemeal will have additional costs to sort of, it's going to offset some of the benefit that you could potentially do. Let's say you're a leader that recognizes that change. And, and of course, this is, you've got a lot of experience. I'm not talking about within IBM, but I'm sure you've seen it before. You're a leader that sees change. Change is not happening. Like, what have you done? What are some things that our listeners can do to create that urgency, to put people's, you know, light a fire under their asses and say, hey, you know, if we don't do this now, you know, we might not get another chance to do it. What are some of the things that you've done that have either worked or not worked in, in, your, in your past career? Yeah, I, I don't know if this is a good or a bad thing. And, and having seen so many of these transformations, I've personally been through 18 merger acquisition or related transactions. So those all come with significant change. Sadly, I've worn some not so fun titles or monikers given the fact that I'm usually at the end of that creating a lot of the operational target operating models and restructuring, you know, there's always synergies when you're going through these activities. And so what I found in, in going through those is a little bit like what you just said, there, there needs to be completely, well, to the extent that you can be open and transparent around this, right? With the team, like, as you said, like we, there might not be another opportunity. If we don't do this together, Let's get everyone on the bus. Let's let's determine what we want the end state to look, look like or someone's going to do it for us, right? And that alternative can be significantly worse. So like, let, let's get on, we need to get on the bus together here, guys, you know, and sharing that. Even, you know, and I've, I've been in, in many instances, I, 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 I live by sort of this motto of no surprises with my team. I have no problem if they want to go and talk to my leadership, but please don't 
surprise me. I'm not talking about skip level leadership conversations. I'm talking around customer or operational issues, right? Like let's always talk to whomever you want, but let's live by a motto of no surprise. But I try and do that with my team as well. So in the past where I knew that something was coming down the pipe, and maybe even if I didn't have all the information, I was pretty transparent. And that, hey, I'm if I'm reading the tea leaves, guys, this is what I'm seeing, right? So let's understand a little bit more around that, get us in the right you know, frame of mind for it so that when the change comes, they don't feel totally like it's just been done to them and they were part of it along the journey. Mm-hmm. And it, it's um, like getting them along with that. Because I mean, what I'm hearing out of what you say, and even just in our sort of pre-conversation, there's a lot of people, you can talk the talk. Right. And you talk about openness, you talk about transparency, you talk about that stuff. But I really hear like a genuine, you're like a no, I mean, you have a sort of a no nonsense way of doing it. And you're not sort of trying to hype anything up where you say, hey, you know, like, I'm totally cool with this. Like, just be real with me. I guess it is. It's, it, would you say that that's sort of how you approach your your leadership and your team building is just being real, you know, calling it like you see it and, and then allowing people to sort of engage with that conversation with you to make it more of a collaborative approach? Yeah, 100%. I mean, I, you know, learned a long time ago, sadly, you know, by doing it the wrong way, literally, I think probably because I became an executive at such an early age, I was insecure around that. And I felt this need to be all business all the time, kind of wear this stern mask um, and not show what was underneath it. And and I failed miserably, right? People probably feared me um, versus respect or followership. And so I, I changed gears. And a lot of that had to do with around people do business, you know, that with people they like and they trust, right? Therefore, they want to do business with. So for me, it's been around building a relationship based upon radical candor, right? You know, if you've read Kim Scott's book where Sheryl Sandberg, you know, gave her some really tough feedback, but because she cared, right? So for me, that's, that's how I lead in all, all facets, right? So it's let's be open and transparent around what's happening, why it's happening. And quite frankly, even as people, we bring our whole selves to the office, every virtually now our home offices, but our whole selves. And that informs why we react the way we do sometimes. So I very much lead in that, you know, sort of very open, very transparent, as much information as I, I'm possibly able to share to get people on board with it. That said, they also know for me, I, I do actually, I sign a lot of my social media off with a couple of hashtags. One of them is no excuses, right? So <laughs> I've long since lived kind of by that, my kids hate it, but, uh, but that's my motto. So what I heard, there was like an inflection point. So there's a lot of people, like I read somewhere that I think it's like 25% of people are like under, like under like 30 or something. Like there's a lot of young people entering the workforce and we can talk about again, like the future work and things like that. But it sounded like, especially as a young executive, there was some sort of inflection point where you're like, okay, I've been going about this. However, I've been going about it. Was it an external force that you had an, a mentor or somebody that said, you know, Victoria, Hey, I got to like be honest with you. Or did you just do the work on yourself? Like what drew about that change? Because I know as a business owner, as an individual, like I'm only as so good as I grow. And there's moments where I'm like, okay, I'm good. Like I, I just need to do more stuff. And then I realize that I stopped growing and stopped becoming better. So how did you realize that you needed to sort of make that change within yourself to be able to get to that next level of effectiveness? There were two things that came within a few months of one another and 
probably in my mid to late 20s. And so I, I referenced this moniker that I had. I learned that my nickname was the Iron Maiden. Um, <laughs> yeah. And initially I was like, oh, well, that's unfortunate. But I kind of like laughed it off. That was the first one. And, and I could chalk it up to the fact that actually it, at the time I heard it, I was going through one of those reorganizations and having to make some really tough decisions, laying off a ton of people like that's not fun. And, you know, what they didn't know is I was crying on the inside, like it was hard to do that. And so, again, I, I didn't do much with that initially. But a few months later, I came in one Monday and from the weekend and talking to one of my colleagues and she's like, Victoria, what did, what did you do this weekend? And I was telling her about it. And I said, oh, I saw whatever. I don't even remember what the movie was in the movie theaters. And I'm like, I was bawling. And she literally looked at me with complete like incredulousness and said, oh, my God, Vic, I thought you'd be the type of person who laughed at people who cried at movies. And it it crushed me because that, that it's actually not who I am. My, my, my best friend calls me turtle, right? I do have a tough exterior. There's circumstances in my life and my youth in particular that cause a little bit of that protectionism in the walls. And so I, and you know, I'm a hockey player too. I can handle a lot, but the fact is I'm a complete marshmallow inside. Like I'm a highly emotional person. And so I realized that like, that's how people viewed me, right? Like, and, and I had to critically look at myself and it wasn't a change overnight, but it was that second following the Iron Maiden comment, that second remark that caused me to realize like this, this isn't the type of leader I, I want to work for. It's not who I knew I was, but I had to shift gears. And it, um, and it, it was hard. Like I want to leave your listeners with, again, it didn't change overnight. It was, you, you know, I, that whole thing, you have to do thing for a certain number uh, period of time before it becomes habit. And so for me, that was things like I needed people to understand the whole Victoria, uh, get to know on a personal level. So, you know, they all business all the time, walked into a meeting and I launched right into the agenda. It wasn't natural for me to have to have some small talk right at the front. I was losing precious time, but I had to force myself to do things like that, to spend more time with people socially and understanding more about their whole selves and what drove them. And so now that's just innately who I am, but it wasn't, and some of that was growing comfortable in my own skin and recognizing, and, you know, I put my hand up readily now to say, Hey, I, I don't know what I don't know, but I'll surround myself with the people who do. Right. And so getting comfortable and confident in who I, I was and letting down some of that guard and bringing that whole authentic self every day, big lesson for me. That's awesome. And thank you for your, just like your honesty and your openness. Cause I really like, that was very clear to me. And I got that. I imagine, and you, you probably see this like as you recruit and hire and find new people within your teams, like the converse being true where they might be too social or too caring or not, I don't say caring, but you know what I mean? Like less business focus, you're more focused on, especially in startups. Like, Ooh, I want these people to be my friends versus needing to have those tough conversations and putting it on the floor for the sake of the business. You know, do you, do you see that flip side in, in your work as well, where people need to sort of embrace the more business side of, of the relationship? Oh, 100%. So my work both on, boards. I also um, am part of this organization that funds female founders specifically. And so as I'm working and coaching with some of these founders and entrepreneurs in particular, it's, it's in all facets, corporate life as well as entrepreneur, but I'll just speak to that for a sec, small business. And so they, they bring in people again, 
they like and they know and they trust, but who have zero skill, in, right? Like in that area, or like, so I, I remember having to coach, I part of um, a YPO, Young Presidents Organization, you know, a leader who, you know, brought someone in who, you know, he deeply thought she was going to be able to be successful. And the rest of us in this forum had to say, like, we don't think so. Like, so you got to stop thinking with your, in this case, heart, right? A little bit more around with a business mindset. And, and it's hard, right? Because you want to strike that, strike that balance. And particularly when it's your baby as an entrepreneur, you know, the unknown is scary. Uh, and so I, I often see it as a fall down, bringing in people that, that they know or trust, but that don't necessarily bring all the requisite skills to the table. Even sometimes recognizing themselves, there's, you know, one board um, or organization I work with now where the founder is amazing, but like he is not the, the, the person who should be raising funds. Right. So we've had to say to him, like, look, you actually need to go and hire some contract because usually you want the founder to be the one who's out there and doing the, the, the capital raise. But in this case, like it's not. So it's having kind of that that <laughs> that recognition of oneself, but also surrounding yourself with people around you who are going to who are going to be that radically candid with you. Yeah, absolutely. And building that like within the culture and the expectation and, you know, whether it's your pro more personable or more business, you know, creating that space and freedom for other people to hold you to task for that and know that like they want what's best for you. And it's not like a, it's not a personal thing. It's sort of a process thing. Let's switch gears a little bit here, but still like building on that. I want to talk about diversity and inclusion. People are talking about it. It's important. You know, we talked about having, you know, those various skill sets. I don't exactly know what I want to ask you. I just want to talk about it. I know that it's important. I know that people want to do it. I guess maybe the softball question is, what is the opportunity of diversity and inclusion? And maybe a follow-up question would be, you know, what can leaders do to support that being successful and then even potentially, like, if you are a person who is, uh, like, part of that diversity thing, everybody should be part of diversity. I don't know how to say that in a different way. You know, how can you make that easier for people? How can we make the whole thing work better for everybody? So I'll let you take Yeah, that yeah. So first of all, I mean, it's funny. I spend a lot of time, you know, talk, talking about, about this around... I feel like sometimes like it's just the right thing to do, but at the same time needing to explain that, like, there is significant business value in having not only a diverse, but an inclusive culture and organization. You know, creativity, productivity, employee engagement is proven. There's data behind it that shows there are significant gains in doing it. So if anyone in business is questioning, again, ethereally, everyone's like, yeah, yeah, it's the right thing to do. No, no, but like it drives business outcomes, right? So that, that's point number one. But then two is, you know, you need to be incredibly, not only strategic, but intentional, you know, with what this is going to look like. And, you know, I'm seeing this late, I mean, because of the social unrest, it's way more at the forefront than it's ever been. And, you know, so I'm seeing all of these chief diversity officer roles being created to some extent. I wrote an article about it the other day, like I saying like the CDO role, chief diversity officer role is not a token role. If you're really committed to this, right? So create, make sure reports to the right level within the organization, right? Usually it's to the CHRO, but with a direct line to the CEO, C-suite, right? Because this isn't an HR problem. Like this is a leadership and fundamental organizational challenge. 
So create the role sitting in the right place in the organization with the right supporting infrastructure. Don't give someone accountability with no authority. That's personally my definition of stress within the workplace. You know, so give them that accountability to move the needle and the authority to do what they need to do. But then also in doing that, what I'm seeing is there's a lot of people being put into those roles who don't have the requisite skills. They're being put into those roles because they themselves are diverse, but they don't have, I mean, you you need, this is about influence within the organization, right? That's some tough messaging. You need to have, understand the data behind it and the strategies over how you're going to be intentional, right? So that would be, you know, the next one. And the, the third is like, it's hard work that you need to consistently do, right? So, you know, challenging. It's not just about, um, and I have a lot of conversation, you know, my, my best friend, one of my, my two best friends, one's Jamaican, right? And so she and I have a lot of great, you know, conversation back in, in forth around, you know, what, you know, this diversity looks like. And I jokingly say, I'm a, I'm not just an ally. I'm a, um, I borrow this from this um, professor, uh, Bettina Love is her name. She talks about co-conspiratorship or the late John Lewis talked about getting into good trouble. You know, so this isn't just about speaking about uh, out. It's about acting, you know, putting ourselves into, um, into uncomfortable places, new places for ourselves. And so we're not getting there overnight, right? There's a strategy behind it, the right team that needs to be behind it. And then we all need to be vocal again. So although I say that it's a CDO that reports to a CHRO or CEO, the fact is this needs to be bottoms up as well, right? You need business interests or resource groups that are involved in this. You need people to at the junior and mid level to call out if they're seeing that diverse hires aren't being made or there's not equity in compensation, right? All of those sorts of things. So it's, it's exciting work. I actually think we're probably going to move the needle more now than we ever have um, because sadly of all of the, you know, the social unrest and, and, and what's happening in our, you know, our universe right now, sadly. Mm-hmm. What is, um, so we talked about influence, we talked about consistency, you know, again, through transparency, openness, it, you know, you just got to put it on the table and make a commitment to it, it sounds like, and it's got to be organizational wide, top down, bottom up, but it can't be one of those, you can't give it like lip service, you've got to really like live it, and it's going to be driven by somebody in leadership who has power to, to actually influence the change versus, uh, I'm going to use the word token title just to be able to say like, okay, like check the box sort of, that's how I hear. Yeah, 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 exactly. So last question uh, on this topic anyways, what is the worst thing somebody can do as an organization in regards to diversity and inclusion? What is the one thing that they should avoid as they move that forward? And and you alluded to, um, or you said specifically, don't put somebody in the wrong position without power. Is there anything else that they should avoid if they are really committed to moving that forward? building the strategy and that action plan without understanding the baseline with which they're starting from, right? So that's the the data, right, behind it. You know, there can be some great representation, like even at IBM, we've got, we, you know, had a female CEO, she retired, we now, you know, have an Indian man, so it's great, but they're still, and we've been so committed to diversity. We recently published our own DNI data through our corporate social um, responsibility report, and we still have a a long way to go, particularly with women 
you know, and actually our, you know, black and Hispanic community, we've been pretty, it's easier to measure, by the way, just um, for your audience, you know, in North America and actually in the U.S. particular and Canada, it's typically only by gender. The rest is optional self-disclosure. In the U.S., we've got a little bit more data. And so, you know, big miss for leaders looking at this is to build a plan without understanding their current baseline. Where are the trouble spots for them? Where are they losing people? It's Are they even hiring, right? It's their sourcing strategy to bring the right people in and then are you losing them? And is that because it's not the right culture or an environment for them? Like, what is it? So huge miss if you're not starting with an understanding of where, where the starting point is. Yeah, and not what you think it is because I'm a white guy. I could look and say, no, our diversity is fine. It's like actually ask the people who are, <laughs> ask the people in the organization or, you know, get the, obviously get the data is the best case, but, you know, ask the, the women and people of color and, and, and different backgrounds in your organization, how you're doing. They will give you a different answer than respectfully the white guys on your board. Um, <laughs> yes. Right. Um, okay. I know we're wrapping up our conversation here. What do you see for the future of people? What do you see for the people of a uh, future of HR? What do you see for the future that our future leaders on this con in this call and in the listening to a podcast um, should keep their eye out for as they move forward in their, in their leadership positions? I mean, the, the future of work is very different, right? I mentioned earlier that 30 to 50% of the roles over the next several years don't exist today, right? So there's a need for individuals and future leaders to constantly be adapting, learning new skills, right? There's, it's amazing to be a subject matter expert in one area, but things are changing so rapidly in taking charge of one's own career and as leaders of people, there needs to be a recognition for that. There needs to be a tie out strategically going back to this whole, how businesses are transforming. You know, I, I say, as I talk to CHROs and their leadership teams, that the whole workforce and talent strategy is not an HR one. Like this is a business challenge we're solving for. So you need to be completely connected with the strategy of the business. Where are they going in three to five years? right? What are their tactics and how are they getting there? And therefore, what are the skills and the people they're looking for? And then, then you work through this exercise of optimizing. Like, are you buying that talent in? Are you building it from within, creating mobility for people to move around? Are you automating through bots? Like, what, is that, what does that look like? So I, it's about being incredibly flexible and open-minded and completely open to change and adaptation to be able to, to adapt to whatever's coming, coming at us in, in this new future work. And how fast is this change coming? Oh, it, it's imminent. Like I, I, again, from this COVID times, I'm seeing an acceleration towards that. You know, this whole modernization journey of systems, infrastructure, applications, and therefore the, the way the work needs to get done. You know, these are three to five year journeys, you know, for large corporate institutions to do that kind of change. That's how long we're, we're talking about. But in some cases, there's some smaller scale stuff that happens over the course of 12 or 18 months, but substantially changed over the next few years. I can tell you, I'm, I, I've also been leading a lot of our return to the workplace and I let our contact tracing, you know, work has um, through COVID and just the way people are thinking about who's even going to return to a physical workplace and therefore 
how do we need to manage engagement, collaboration, innovation that usually happens, you know, face to face, like all of that is that that's changed now. And we're going to need to continue to adapt to that. If you think you as a business owner, like it's so much better to sit in a boardroom and read the body language versus just seeing the small square through a Zoom or a WebEx, right? It's changing now. Absolutely. Well, that's, I mean, it's interesting for, for organizations of all size, but to know that, you know, some change is happening slowly, some change is happening quickly, but especially for those bigger organizations, you know, you have so much to change if you want to change it right. Like the, the amount of integration and the speed at which you do things, like I would bet that most organizations, most are not prepared to be proactive for this change. And I think the reactivity is going to send ripples uh, through the waves of, of boardrooms everywhere because it's not going to be an option anymore. It's going to be a must and some are just going to be, they're going to miss the boat on it. So I really appreciate you, Victoria, just giving us the straight goods about all of this, um, especially on, you know, just making a difference in the lives of people. And again, for our leaders on the call, for them to sort of recognize in themselves, not only how they can step into their leadership now and what needs to happen for them to do that, but also for them to be aware of how they can be of increasing value in the future, not just for themselves, but the, for the communities that they operate. And that's what I got from our conversation today. Awesome. Thank you. I'm really glad that you had me on. Thank you. Yeah, you're so welcome. Where can people uh, get a hold of you? Where can they get your book? Where can they uh, get in touch? My book is called Unstoppable. So you can find it on Amazon or through my personal website, which is victoria-peltier.com. But I also have a very large following. I'm actually IBM's number one social seller, given the way I engage with my network on LinkedIn. So feel free to find me there, just Victoria Peltier. That's fantastic. Victoria, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you today. Thank you so much for the time. Thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, my guest today has been Victoria Peltier, who is the VP and senior partner of North American Talent and Transformation at IBM. Thank you so much, Victoria, for joining us. My name is Anthony Taylor. This has been the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. If you've got somebody in your network that would appreciate this podcast, be sure to send it to them and like and share. And thanks again. Until next time. Thank you for joining us on today's episode of the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. If you're in the process of renewing your strategic plan and you're looking for a framework to align your team and to create a clear vision, clear goals, and a clear roadmap on how to get there, be sure to check out our signature course that will walk you through the process that we've used to create hundreds of strategic plans successfully for organizations all over the world. You'll get instant access to all the videos and documents right away. And so whether you're planning a strategy session in three months, three weeks, or three days, you'll be able to get the most out of your meeting and have everyone be on the same page and bought into your plan. It's the exact same framework that we've used for our clients and we've packaged it in a way that you can use it easily yourself. So visit smestrategy.net slash course and you can use the code podcast for $100 off. That's smestrategy.net slash course and use the code podcast for $100 off and you'll get instant access to all of the tools to help you create your strategic plan successfully and have everybody moving forward on the same page. Once again, this is Anthony Taylor with the Strategy and Leadership Podcast. Thanks so much for joining us and we'll see you real soon.